Anyway, so praise God. Um, we are in Matthew, the 16th chapter, and verse 1 in our study of Matthew, one verse at a time. Uh, we hit a familiar uh, scenario here, one that we've already seen, and it probably happened several times, but uh, this one we definitely read about before. Almost seems like a repeat, word for word, of what happened before. But it says here, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, he slapped them last time they did this. Said, why would they do it again? Well, he's moving around. He's in different places. They weren't all seeing him all at the same time. And it wasn't like they had 24-hour cable networks where, you know, you talk and everybody hears whatever you're saying. Uh, and we're going to see in a little bit more emphasis, uh, example of the fact that Jesus was traveling around. Everybody didn't know who he was. But anyway, so these guys come to him, the local religious leaders of the day, and uh, will do something, do something, you know, as, as though he had to prove himself to them. And uh, Jesus replied to them, he said, look, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, you'll say today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. He says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Now, these are people, they've been waiting hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years, the Jewish people, for the Messiah. And the Bible was very clear what it would look like, how he would be uh, ministering, where he would be born, all these things. And they missed it. And they knew it. Remember when the, the uh, uh, you know, we just did Christmas, but the, uh, when the wise men came, they came to Jerusalem. And they said, look, we're looking for the Messiah. Uh, we found a star. Where is he supposed to be born? And the religious leaders of the day told him, oh, he's, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. They knew. They knew it all. And then they went and sought him out, but they couldn't be bothered. I mean, they just, they just missed it. People who should know better and just missed the whole thing. Uh, and they, these were the guys of the day. They were more interested in their own power, their more arrogance, their own uh, ego from being holy people and all that kind of stuff that they were missing God himself right in front of them. Truly stunning. So he says, anyway, Jesus says to, this, to them, a wicked and a gener adulterous generation looks for a sign. Now this is highly insulting. You have to really get a picture. Jesus really insulted these guys. They did not like him. They were trying to kill him. There's a reason they were trying to kill him because he was so insulting and they didn't like it. They were just incensed. These were people who put a premium on being holy, holy. They were really holier than thou. They were self-righteous. The epitome of self-righteousness were these people, these religious people 2,000 years ago that Jesus came to. They were extremely self-righteous. And Jesus calls them wicked and adulterers. Oh, man, you know, they did not like it. And remember, it was the religious people of the day that orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus. So, well, it was the Romans that killed him. Well, technically, because they had the power, but it was the Jewish leaders who insisted on it. In fact, remember, the Roman leader was saying, I find no fault in him, let him go. And they said, no, crucify him, crucify him. They all orchestrated by these men who were not at all convinced. Some people said, well, maybe if Jesus would have showed them a sign, maybe they would have believed. No, they saw plenty of signs that Jesus did, and they didn't believe. Uh, in fact, one of the most stunning miracles Jesus did uh, was when he raised Lazarus from the dead. This was the most amazing. Now, he had raised others from the dead, but it's like, you know, they were sick and they died and he came and prayed for them right away and they came back to life. Well, 
it's easy to explain that away because you think, you know, you know, the princess bride, he's just mostly dead, you know. They, they weren't really taking it seriously. I've used this analogy before. If Lathan drops over dead right now, you know this is the way you would think. If he dropped over dead, cold stone dead right now, don't do that, by the way. Uh, and a couple of nurses or doctors have comes over and, and uh, takes his pulse and says, he's dead. He is dead, you know. And, and, they, and we call the ambulance and stuff like that. And I come down and pray for him. And all of a sudden, he sits up. 98% of you would all go, oh, he probably just had gas or something, you know. <laughs> because you wouldn't believe. That's the way we are. And we're people of faith. We're Christians. We're in church. And you know, most of you wouldn't believe it. So you can imagine them. They wouldn't believe. By the way, it's why we don't see more miracles. It's because we think in those terms. We don't have much faith. But here, these guys, he, he healed people and they raised them from the dead. Well, you know, they're probably just fainted or something and, and whatever. Well, when it comes to Lazarus, Lazarus is dead for days. I mean, Jesus comes and you, you can't fake it at this point. You're not just mostly dead. You're totally dead when you're in there for days and the tomb's all sealed up. And, uh, and Jesus comes and says, roll away the tomb. And they said, oh, no, don't. He, he reeks, man. It's stinking in there now roll away the tomb and then he rolls away and then he says Lazarus come forth and he comes hopping out all wrapped up in his grave clothes and stuff like that I was like whoa now you would think seriously at this point if you're not a believer you're a believer now you know what I'm saying at this point wow I am seriously convinced the Bible says the Pharisees after seeing this got together and decided how they're going to kill him I mean they it just motivated them more they hated him there's something wrong with these dudes. Anyway, the part of it, Jesus kept messing with them and insulting them, calls them adulterers and wicked. That's what, those are the kind of people who look for a sign. He says, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah, which was Jonah was in the belly of the fish and then came out. Well, Jesus is going to be crucified, buried, and then raised from the dead. That's the only sign. Um, and by the way, his disciples never understood what he was talking about here. He said, well... I probably would have missed that too. But what's amazing is the Pharisees got it. They knew. In fact, they went, when they crucified Jesus, they went to the Roman soul, uh, authority and said, you need to put guards at the, at the uh, uh, tomb because he, talked, he, he said he would raise from the dead. They knew it. His own disciples didn't get it. In fact, when we come back next time, I'll pick up where he literally tells them, I'm going to go and be crucified. He tells them everything and they never got it. It was just, of course, they, in all fairness to the disciples, it was hard to find out what Jesus was talking about half the time anyway. I, I think they just, you know, sometimes people say, I feel bad because I don't understand the Bible. Man, get in line. You know, even, even the disciples didn't understand what he was talking about half the time. So, okay, so, uh, then it says, then Jesus left them and went away. Well, then they went across the lake. Well, the disciples forgot to take bread on the trip. All right? Now, Jesus, he's still stewing, talking to these nitwits. These Pharisees, you know how sometimes you're having a confrontation with somebody and blah, 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 and you walk away and you're still thinking, oh, I should have said such and such and all oh, these guys really irritate, you know what I'm saying? So this is what Jesus is still feeling because he just had this thing with these Pharisees and then they get to the other side of the lake and he's just thinking about this and Jesus says this to them. He says, be careful, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which he meant referring to their teachings, their poisonous teachings. A little bit, see, it takes just a little bit of yeast to affect a whole loaf of bread. It doesn't take much. 
And what he's really trying to talk about is the phoniness and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. That was their deal. It was all about appearances. They were, he said, on the outside, you're really pretty, but inside you're, you're wicked. He says, you're like, you're like a grave, a sepulcher, nice and pretty, whitewashed on the outside, but inside you're full of dead man's bones. Jesus was always confronting them about this. And because they had this outward form of religion and inside they were a mess, which in all fairness... To be honest, just looking at ourselves, this is a problem in many Christian churches. Now, this is part of our culture here. We talk about this a lot at Celebration Church about being real, okay? And uh, if you're new to the church, you know, and, and you get involved, and hopefully you do, and, and go with the membership classes and stuff, you'll hear us talk about this emphasis that we have. Just be real. You don't have to wear this plastic fake thing. Lots of Christians are just into this thing of this plastic Christianity, their life is horrible. Everything's going horribly, but they wear this little plastic mask. Everything's fine. Ha, 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 you know? And, and then all of a sudden they fall all apart and everybody's shocked. You know, Bobby and Susie got a divorce. And I, I, I probably, there's, there's a thousand churches this morning. Somebody's finding out it's Bobby and Susie got divorced and everybody's going, well, I, I didn't even know they didn't like each other. I'm totally shocked, totally shocked. Why? Because they've been plastic this whole time. You know, don't do that. Don't be phony. If you're struggling in life, just say you're, you're struggling. If, you're, if your life sucks, someone says, how you doing? Say, my life sucks. Okay? Just be honest. You know, walk in the door and put on this plastic face. You and your husband just add to each other. You walk in the door, how you doing? Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Glad to be in the house of God today, you know. You sinner, knock it off. Just be honest. You know, you walk in, you feel awful. Just, they say, how you doing? You go, Pfft. I'm married to that. Yeah, <laughs> just be real. So people can pray for you and help you and connect with you guys on your struggles in life. Watch out. Jesus said, watch out for this phoniness. This, and he calls it the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, the disciples, in typical fashion, they don't know what he's talking about. And verse 7 says, well, then they discussed it among themselves and said, oh, he must be ticked off because we didn't bring any bread. <laughs> Did you get the sandwiches? I didn't know I was supposed to get the sandwiches. Dude, you were supposed to get the sandwiches. Man, I'm sorry, I forgot. They're having this argument about who left the bread. And then Jesus, in verse 8, aware of their discussion, says, oh, for heaven's sakes, you nimrods. You have little faith. Why are you talking among yourself about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves or the 5,000 people we fed? How many basketfuls do you gathered? Or the seven loaves or the 4,000 people that we fed? How many baskets you got? Do you think bread is a problem for me? <laughs> That's what he's saying. You really think I have an issue with bread? So he's yelling at him. I'll tell you, I keep pointing out, he was pretty strong with people. And his disciples oftentimes were afraid to ask him anything because they can't get yelled at, you know, they didn't get it. And so he says, how is it you don't understand I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard. And then he repeats it. He doesn't explain it. He just says it again. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then the light goes on in their head. And they went, oh. Well, then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching 
of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Again, if you feel at times you don't understand everything in the Bible, you're in really good company. Because <laughs> these guys lived with him day and night, and they didn't understand half of what he was talking about. It was very confusing to them. I think that's why they didn't get it, because all of a sudden he started talking to them, not in parables or in symbols, but in plain English, or whatever, Aramaic at the time. That's why in a little bit he says, he tells them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to beat me up and kill me and I'll be raised from the dead. And they probably thought he was speaking in parables again. You know what I'm saying? It was a yeast deal or something. They don't know what's going on. That's why they didn't catch a lot of what he was talking about. Okay, so we get past that. Then uh, verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, uh, just south of Illinois, he, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Who, are people, who do people say I am? And then he started saying, well, something they've been hearing. He said, well, some say you're John the Baptist. So how could it be John the Baptist? You know, he was baptized by John the Baptist. And well, see, again, not everybody heard everything all at the same time. Um, uh, even uh, Herod thought Jesus was John the Baptist. Raised from, and Herod is the one who killed John the Baptist. When he heard about Jesus, he thought it was John the Baptist come back because they were very superstitious uh, because he didn't even hear about Jesus until after he killed John the Baptist. Jesus had been ministering for a long time already. So even though things, the word was spreading pretty wildly about Jesus and stuff, again, we're talking 2,000 years ago, you know, talk about things traveled slowly, okay? So they're running in, oh, I heard about John the Baptist being dead. Who is this guy? Look what he's doing. It must be John the Baptist from the dead. Uh, and then others said, well, no, you must be Elijah the prophet. That's come back. Another said, well, you must be Jeremiah or one of the other prophets raised from the dead. By the way, people always were very quick to uh, be very impressed with Jesus' teachings. Even the scribes and Pharisees were very impressed with his teachings. They were stunned. How does this guy know all this stuff? I mean, they were really pretty amazed. Uh, people are very quick to say Jesus was a great teacher or a prophet. Lots of religions, lots of people who don't want to believe in Jesus will at least acknowledge Jesus was a great prophet and he was a great teacher. You might even go to some philosophy class in college and say, well, Jesus was a great philosopher, you know. They, but he wasn't a philosopher, he wasn't a teacher, he wasn't a prophet. He was the son of God. That's what they have a problem with, okay? They, they, they don't like that. They can't admit, oh, Jesus was the son of God. But they can't deny that he was an incredible faith. His teachings alone are stunning. And what he did. Now, they would argue whether or not he actually did it. But you got to admit, what Jesus did. Who in the history of mankind has ever done anything like this? Who has ever even claimed to do this? Even any other religion in the world. None of them. Mohammed, Buddha, nobody has ever even claimed to do what others say Jesus did, which is pretty amazing. Jesus, by the way, wrote nothing. Stop and think about that. How fast. All these other guys, they had their writings and they wrote their books and they had their religions and all that. All, everything that Jesus, not a word did he write down that, is, that we can have on record. This was all what others said about him because he was so humble. It's just amazing. Yet, son of God. He knew that if he blew his own horn, it would have no value. In fact, he was always telling them to be on the down low, you know, be quiet about stuff, which we'll see in just a minute. But uh, this is the way that he approached. The, the Gospels that we're reading, four guys who wrote about this and others, you know, everybody talked about it. No one's even attempted to even have claimed to have seen anything like this. Jesus was nothing short of stunning and amazing. Okay? So everybody says, well, you must be uh, this prophet or that prophet or whatever. But then Jesus asks him the big question. He looks at him and says, but what about you guys? Who do you 
say that I am. And Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Ding, 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 ding. He got it right. Peter was a little, duh, half the time, but this one he got right. And wow, this is it. They were getting it now. He wasn't up to this point. He's an amazing teacher. Wow, who, you know, what kind of man is this that he would speak and the waves would calm down and the storms would calm down. Wow, what kind of guy is this? And it finally is dawning on them who in fact he was. This is the Messiah. You are the son of the living God, God in the flesh. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he orders them not to tell anybody he was the Messiah. I mean, he was just, again, very much on the down low. It's quite stunning, um, and there's reasons for that. But let's back up here and just look at what we just read here about this, in, this encounter with Peter. Now, uh, we're not Catholics. We love Catholics. God bless them. But obviously, we're not Catholic, and we don't agree with everything. It's not, not against the law. Just everybody has their different opinions. Um, this is a big foundational thing for them. Many of, you, many of you were raised in Catholic Church, where they say this is where Jesus appoints Peter as the Pope, where he is now, because he's the rock that uh, the church is established on. Well, first of all, that's not what Jesus said. And this was not the rock in which he was uh, referring to. The word Peter actually means rock. Um, Jesus was basically saying, you know, hey, you're the rock. We call you the rock. But, but this is the rock that what? what? That he just said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. This is what the church is built on. That Jesus Christ was the Messiah. This is, this is the foundation why we're here is because we believe Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, was the son of the living God. He will come again to judge the quick and the dead. Everything we just said in the uh, 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 Apostles' Creed. That's the foundation. The rock was not some dude, okay? And if there was going to be some dude, I think he'd get somebody better than Peter. Peter had issues, all right? In a minute, well, we'll see this when I come back and pick it up again, but... Here he just praises him for getting that he's the Messiah. And the next verse is coming up. Jesus calls him the devil. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. Whoa, there's a swing. One minute, God's revealed to you, devil. You know, it's like, wow. So, I mean, he had issues. I mean, uh, he wasn't even the big leader in the church as it was. When you read the book of Acts, Peter was the main guy right after Jesus. But you get very far into the book of Acts. James now is the guy who's running the church in Jerusalem. And talk about the guy who actually lays down the most striking foundational truths of New Testament Christianity was Paul. It wasn't Peter. Peter had two little epistles. We've been going over those uh, in our uh, life groups. But uh, it was, at one point, Paul writes that Peter was acting like a hypocrite and he's in Galatians. He's, he was acting like, Peter was acting like a big phony and I had to rebuke him in front of everybody, embarrass him in front of everybody. Whoa, see, Peter had issues, okay? So this idea that one guy is the person on whom you're building the church is, it just doesn't hold, sorry, peace, all right? Uh, and then this idea, well, I, whatever you bind on earth will be loose in heaven. Jesus says the exact same thing a little bit later when he's talking to everybody, all believers. 
He says to all people, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. It wasn't some special status for Peter. This is for everybody. And that's where, we'll read it when we get to it, where Jesus says, you know, when he says, if two or three of you will agree on anything, my father will do it. This is right after he tells everybody, whatever you bind on earth will be loose in heaven, okay? So it wasn't to one dude. I will say this, that I think the Catholics get that most evangelicals and Protestants don't get. As they at least understand the concept of what Jesus was talking about. He was saying, they think just to Peter, but he was saying to all of them, that mankind, believers, have huge power in deciding what or will not be done in the kingdom of heaven. What God will or will not do. That they get right. Something most evangelicals, sadly, do not get. And I hope you listen to me a little bit. Focus, okay? Escúchame. Pay attention. Because some people hear something they're not supposed to be hearing. Listen to me on this. So much of evangelical Christianity is all boiled down to just do whatever God tells you to do. Just do whatever God... You can come to people with all kinds of problems, no matter what you share with them. Those are, oh, just do whatever God tells you to do. Just, as if that's the emphasis of Christianity. It's interesting that Jesus never talked in those terms. Jesus was constant. Now, obviously, you need to obey God, but in terms of basic moral morality and obeying the commandments that Jesus laid out. But when it came out to God doing stuff in your life, he said, ask, you ask. Knock, seek. If any two of you will agree, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. He wasn't telling everybody to sit around and wait for God to tell you what to do. He would say, what do you want God to do? Ask him. You have a say in this. Something most people do not get. And I feel so sorry for so many Christians, wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ all throughout our country today who don't get this concept. They're just sitting and waiting for God to tell them what to do and they don't do anything with their lives in a spiritual sense. They never volunteer. They never get involved in church. So why don't you? Well, I'm just waiting for the Lord to tell me what to do. Dude, you've been here 20 years. Do something. Well, I'm just praying about it, you know. And by the way, and don't misunderstand me on this, that it's stunning. The phrase, just pray about it, is the ultimate cop-out in most Christians' lives today. You go to people today, ask them for advice and help, and overwhelmingly you'll hear the phrase, well, just pray about it. I'm thinking about committing adultery. Well, just pray about that. You know. Really pray about that. It's stunning. And listen to me. You need, I'm not saying don't pray. You need to be praying about everything. But you go to someone for advice and all they tell you is just pray about it. Get away from them and go find someone who's got some sense. Who understands about it. And if you don't know, just tell them, you know. I don't know anything about your situation. I don't know the Bible that well. Go talk to somebody else and, and I'll pray for you. But just go pray about it is not an answer for advice. It is the ultimate cop-out today. It's as if American Christians don't want to be held responsible for anything. Oh, I, I didn't want him what to do. Yeah, he's thinking about killing his neighbor. And I, I didn't want to say anything. I just told him to pray about it. <laughs> well, you Nimrod, what do you mean pray about it? Do you have any sense? Have you read the Bible? Do you understand God's principles? Do you understand the commandments? Can you speak into people's lives and give them some direction? This whole idea of just sitting around and don't do anything. This is, Jesus spoke against this when he gives the parable of the talents. We'll get to it eventually. Talents were amounts of money. He comes to one guy, gives, he tells a parable. He gave him five talents, another guy two talents. Went out and they did all kinds of stuff, earned more money, brought it back to their master. One guy gave one talent and he didn't do anything. He was all concerned and he took that talent and he found a hole in the stage and he put it in it and he closed it and then he sat on it. 
And then the master comes back and rewards these guys and rewards these guys. He comes to the one dude. So what'd you do? I, I, I kept your talent safe. Because I didn't want to make a mistake. I didn't want to make a, I, just, I just wanted to hear from God. So I wait for the Lord to tell me what to do. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, by the way, here's your talent back. I kept it warm. Jesus said, take that guy and throw him into outer darkness. Does that mean hell? I don't know. It doesn't sound good to me. I don't care if it's just a closet. I don't want to go there. Come on. Don't get caught up into this nonsense. Just sitting around waiting for God to tell you what you got. Oh, Pastor, I just want to know the will of God. Listen to me. When the Bible talks about the will of God, it's talking about your character and who you are and learning and obeying God's very clear commands. That's straight up. But everybody's sitting around waiting for God to tell them the details and decisions of their lives. That's not where the will of God comes in. And listen, and sometimes even if it does, God's a big boy. He will tell you. He'll make it clear to you. He'll make your path clear. This idea, listen, Jesus gave the analogy, trying to explain this relationship with God. He calls him father, right? Father. That was very radical, God being our father. He says, listen, if you parents, even though you're evil, know how to do good things for your kids, why do you think God isn't as good as you? Now, how many of you parents, and when it comes to your will, you want something for your kids to do. That's your will. You don't tell them. And you sit in your room all quietly waiting for them to come and inquire your will. Is that what you do? Waiting for your kids to come. Dad? Oh, Dad? What, what's your will? Mom? What's your, I, I have my underwear over here on the floor. And, uh, is it your will I pick it up or, or let it rot there? What? Please, Mom, tell me, please. Oh, Mom, come on. Mom, Mom, why won't you tell me? Mom, I got the underwear. I got to do something with it. Mom, what should I do? If there was parents like that, you'd think, well, those guys are horrible. That's the picture we've given of God. That he's got the inside track on your life and he's not telling you. You've got to beg and pray and cry and weigh and ah, hoping that somehow he'll give you some insight. It's God's will. He'll tell you. Or he'll make it clear. But you've got to start making some choices. Start moving forward. Good grief. I'm pretty sure most of you moms would go, pick up your underwear. And, and don't put it on your head again. That's disgusting. <laughs> Just put it away for heaven's sakes. It's your will. Parents have a way of expressing their will. Bosses don't have a problem sharing with their employees their will. It's their will. Why is God not as good as we are? I'm telling you, this picture of everybody having to sit around waiting to discover God's will is not the right picture. So when I wonder, what does God want to do? God say, what do you want me to do? Pray, ask, knock, seek, bind, agree together. That is active Christianity. So, well, I, I was, I, do I work at Burger King or McDonald's? Burger King or McDonald's? God doesn't care. Pick one. And if, he's, well, what if, if he does, Burger King will just call him and say, oh, we don't want you. God closes doors, opens doors for you. I mean, that's a lot. Of, the Bible says, just acknowledge him in everything you do and he will direct your path. But you've got to move. Don't sit around doing nothing. It's like I got a small airplane. You know, if you sit in my airplane 
and go like this. And it's just sitting on the tarmac, nothing happens. But if I'm going 300 miles an hour and you do that, whoa, you have a serious ride. All right? It only does something if you're moving. It's like the rudder on a ship. You can sit where the thing's parked and turn the rudder all day long. Doesn't do anything. When it's moving, oh, all of a sudden it takes in. You've got to step out. Get active in your life. If you don't know what to do, pray for wisdom. Wisdom isn't God telling you what to do. See, that's what we want. God, tell me what to do. God's not going to tell you what. What? Just ask for wisdom. Wisdom is the knowledge of good and bad, right and wrong, best, better. That's what, go get wisdom from other people. And not people who just tell you to pray about it, but people who can say, you know, this is what I would do. Or looking at that situation, this is what I would do. Make decisions, move forward. You single people, quit over-spiritualizing the whole picking a mate thing. People have over spiritualized waiting for God to tell me who to marry. Pastor, how do I know? Make a decision. Use your brain. Look at their character. Met some couple at one of my conferences. They're holding hands. I said, how long have you been married? He said, oh, we're not married. I said, oh, how long have you been dating? Seven years. Seven years? I said, what's the problem? He said, well, how do you know it's the one? So I don't know, do you love him? Yeah. Do you love her? Yeah. You're idiots. For heaven's sakes. Make a decision. People are afraid. Everybody's so scared. So scared to make any decisions that we become people. We sit around and we do nothing with our lives. And I'm telling you, there is going to be hell to pay. Maybe literally. If we don't get off of our butts, live life. And I don't care how everybody else thinks. I'm talking to my church here, you guys. Don't you live your faith this way. Don't wait around for God to tell you what to do. Talk to God what you'd like God to do. Get active in your faith. Step out. Trust him. He'll guide and lead you. Man, that's how God's always led me. I don't hear stuff. (laughs) Which is probably good that I don't. (laughs) You know. People say, oh, I'm so God, glad God spoke you to do such and such. I didn't hear God say anything. Then why are you doing it? It was the only option left. I've used this analogy before. The way God leads me is he closes every door and window on, in the house, lights the house on fire, and opens one door. And I, I feel led to move in that direction. Because all the other options are shot. People are so spiritual. You know what it is? It's all about feelings. They want to live by how they feel. We've become a nation that doesn't think we feel. In America, we don't think anymore we feel. And it's becoming the undoing of us as a culture. And in the church, instead of reading the Bible, learning what God says, knowing how to live life and being able to make smart decisions based on his principles, we don't want to be bothered with that. We just want to feel. I just want to pray about it. Whatever whatever feels the best for them, then they're in all kinds of trouble, making bad decisions, doing stupid things. So I I just feel it's God. Oh, it's God. Oh, it's God. Pastor, I just know I should marry this guy. It's God. Really? He's a psycho. But it's God. It's God. 
Oh, it's God. And then you come to me two years later after you marry. Oh, God. Oh, God, help me. Use your brains. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Help us, Lord, to understand that you love us and you care about us, that you are not some evil overlord that's hiding your intentions from us, that you want the best, which just like any parent would make his or her will clear to his children, so you do to us. And the reason why a lot of people don't hear anything or it's not clear is they're just sitting around doing nothing. Help them to move. Help them to get involved. Help them to make decisions in life based on the teachings of your word. And Lord, if they don't know your word, they have enough sense to go to people who do. And help us as responsible leaders and mature Christians, not just to point people away saying go pray about it, but to speak wisdom into their lives based on what we know about God's teachings and word. Lord, so that we can be productive Christians, successful people who live out our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you. Amen.